Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, I have special guest that I get to introduce this time as Dr. David Wiss. He is coming to us today from LA, and I would love, Dr. David, for you to have an opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, thank you so much. You are one of my favorite dietitians, and it's been so great being able to chat with you and cross-pollinate ideas over the years. I love the energy that you put out. So I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to chat with you today. And your podcast is amazing. I am in LA and I've been here my whole life. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world to live. <laughs> all, all kudos to you, my friend. I'm sure that hasn't been a very easy landscape to navigate over these last few years. So indeed, that's true. But I have landed. I have... I. I am impressed, and it takes a very, very special individual to be able to navigate that without being too triggered. So kudos to you, my friend. So I I absolutely adore David and his work. I came across him almost, gosh, it's probably been more than a decade now. Holy cow. When you were such a, um, a, you know, just a disruptor in the whole nutrition industry. And my heart was so aligned and in love with you from the get-go. So after, you know, I was exposed to you and and started following you and your work, um, I had reached out to you after moving out here to California. And we collaborated on a interview for the podcast once it came out um, two years ago. and, And that did so well. And I've had so many people reach out to me about that interview, I was like, oh my gosh, we have to have him back on so we can talk about the evolution of nutrition, especially pertaining to addiction and depression and eating disorder, where we are today versus where we were just a few years ago. Mm. So, um, you know, you are kind of known as the guy in the industry and the substance use industry. You're the, the addiction guy. So, Talk to us. Tell us a little bit about the addiction guy and who he is today. Yeah, you reminded me of the early career days when we were coming out and trying to really create social change and awareness around, you know, public health versus private profits. And there was this growing interest in the idea that, you know, big multinational food corporations were making food more palatable and hijacking people's brains. And, you know, as someone that uh, has a a recovery history and worked in recovery settings, we certainly saw a lot of that energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people call it food addiction, ultra processed food addiction. Uh, and, And by the way, I just love your content. You're someone that's willing to share about issues that you see in the world and, and also be a disruptor. So yeah, it was fun coming out early in the career and saying, you know what? I'm not okay. I have a problem with this, right? Mm -hmm. These are social injustices that people aren't willing to talk about. I'm someone that's willing to talk about it. And one of the things I really started talking about was the quality of the food in addiction treatment centers, right? Yeah. And, you know, that became my passion project and we developed curriculum to use in these settings and started meeting with people that had one-on-one. I built a group practice called Nutrition and Recovery here in uh, West Los Angeles where, you know, we really bridged the gap between physical health and mental health. And I personally had a, a major transformation in my own mental health using nutrition. So I had a bias toward the use of food for wellness uh, that really, really gave me the passion to actually, mm-hmm. you know, become a dietitian and do all the things that I've done. And I saw it happening for other people. And, you know, for a lot of people, it was sort of like whew, over the head, right? They're like, what do you mean nutrition for addiction? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't match what we know about nutrition. A lot of people still associate nutrition with fitness or physique and really don't make the connection between the brain, although there's a lot of growing awareness around that. But when we started teaching nutrition to people and teaching them about um, 
you know, gut health and uh, uh, overcoming emotional eating, teaching people about, you know, night eating and binge eating and not restricting and learning about how food is uh, altered by the industry. And it got people into really good chapters and it was exciting. Mm -hmm. It was so cool. And I saw a lot of really good outcomes. And, you know, the, the shortcoming of that is that there wasn't a lot of good data. So I became someone who tried to contribute to the literature there. You know, mm -hmm. we, 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 we published a couple of papers about how, um, how rare it was to see nutrition education in these settings. I published some papers describing, you know, group content or curriculum that could be used. But my, my, my dream was to go and get a doctorate and do the big study that was going to show the world, right, that nutrition interventions and substance use disorder recovery uh, were, uh, could be effective, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, like, like I said, I'm aware that I have a bias there because it was so effective for me and I seen it effective in my practice. Like I wanna share it with the world, right? right. Uh, but I think by the time I got to my PhD program in public health, I was, I was really committed at one point to, you know, doing a actual intervention study where we change the food, teach people uh, in groups, do one-on-one -on -one counseling, you know, really moving people toward a Mediterranean style of eating, mm -hmm. uh, possibly using some supplements. And I'm lofty. I'm aggressive. I'm the disruptor. I was like, I want to do brain scans. I want to show, you know, neuroimaging outcomes of reduced neuroinflammation. Yeah. I want to do the big thing. And, you know, I wasn't able to pull that off as a PhD student. Uh, it's still on my radar. I just want to let y'all know I'm I'm the guy. I want to do the big nutrition for addiction study. And I, I believe you will make it happen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But during uh, my training, it was a little bit too lofty. So, mm -hmm. you know, I had to go in some other directions and I did research on mental health, uh, linking trauma to mental health among people um, with substance use disorder history, et cetera. So I've really broadened my scope and my interest beyond just addictions. I've always been addictions and eating disorders. And now with nutrition, we're really starting to think about, you know, nutrition for reducing depressive symptoms, nutrition for improving anxiety, nutrition for those that have experienced trauma. And, you know, it turns out that a lot of the stuff that I was teaching, you know, Mediterranean style of eating, high fiber, um, regular eating patterns. And a lot of that stuff has actually been very well documented now as interventions for depressive symptoms. So mm -hmm. it's starting to make more sense. Oh, we get it now. Nutrition improves addiction outcomes because it improves depression and anxiety. And when people yeah. have less depression and anxiety, they're more likely to have a, a, a sober and, and high quality of life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So and coming clear. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, my story resembles your story so much. I, you know, was a very depressed, anxious child, got on prescriptive medication at 11 years old. At that time, I had immense issues with my digestive system, poor appetite, always feeling sick, nauseous, fainting, passing out, dots, all of the things, right? And so their solution was, well, we can't find anything wrong with her. So we're just going to put her on these medications to treat the anxiety and the depression. And from 11 to 15, that had such negative impacts on my personal development. Mm. I isolated, I shut down, I disassociated from self that it led me to a place where my anxiety was so bad that I was literally pulling my hair out. I would sit in class and I would just pull hair out as a coping mechanism to soothe myself from all of the, you know, stuff going on. And one day a teacher happened to walk by and see this pile of hair next to me on the floor and called the guidance counselor and then my mom. And that led to me having my first in hospitalization mm -hmm. treatment. And for me, this was so traumatic. This experience was so traumatic that it left me in a worse place than where I had begun. Mm. And this is where I turned to drugs and, you know, using recreational drugs as my way to cope and soothe through all of the discomfort I was experiencing from not being seen, from not being heard, from not being you know, uh, validated for what I was experiencing. And 
unfortunately, that led me to developing a kidney disease as a result of, you know, <laughs> methamphetamine use for chronic periods of time and lots of dehydration and sleep and poor nutrition and all the things. But ultimately, this was this was a blessing because by me getting this diagnosis and, you know, essentially urinating blood, it got my attention. Right. Hey, something's not working here. This system is not working. Mm. And as a result of that, I couldn't get health insurance for having a pre-existing condition and not being a full-time college student, got kicked mm -hmm. off my parents' health insurance, couldn't wow. get health insurance. And then this became the beautiful journey that allowed me to be who I am today. And it all started with me changing my lifestyle habits as a way to reduce the blood in my urine and improve my kidney outcomes, which ultimately resolved the depression and anxiety within months of me making wow. changes, which was just absolutely exciting and mind blowing. I just remember like, who am I? This is amazing. Yeah. Like, where's all the depression and the anxiety I have been playing uh, my whole life with? Why don't I need the pills anymore? Mm -hmm. This is beautiful. What else is possible? That's my story. You just told my story. We're so similar. I always I knew. I always knew that because you're a seeker and you're into healing, I could tell the energy you put off. Like you, you understand the domain of the sacred. Absolutely. You understand the deep, deep healing, right? Like you can tell when someone's been through some things, right? And now, like necessitates a level of depth in their life, and I've always seen that in you, and I think you've seen it with me, and we've shared about that. But I never knew the actual details of your story until today. So oh, wow. thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. I didn't know those actual events and, and whatnot and the way you experience them. It's very similar to mine. You know, when you get started young, it changes your, your biology, mm -hmm. right? When you have mental health challenges at certain ages in our development, they tend to be more sticky over the right. lifespan, right? Absolutely. And, uh, for a lot of us, you know, some of that stickiness can create long-term challenges, but it can also create that long-term resilience and that long-term depth and changes our life trajectories and makes us seekers and makes us people that are interested in healing ourselves so that we can heal others and passionate about carrying the message of hope, right? And I Absolutely. see that in you. Oh, as I do and you, my friend, we're just mirrors for one another. Yeah. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's really beautiful. So for all of those that are listening who, you know, probably have been in similar circumstances, I don't think there's a being out there in this day that has not escaped anxiety, anxiety and depression have been so deeply cultivated into the, you know, material of our society that it's become the norm. So most people don't know what it feels like to not be stressed and anxious, which is where I found myself in my early 20s after changing my nutrition. I had been addicted to sugar my whole life, not realizing the role that it was playing with what was happening to me from a mental perspective. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's so important. And I, I, I'm really interested in, you know, body, mind and body, mind, spirit. And sometimes... I, I talk about them separately, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just for, for the sake of being more specific, but I do, I don't believe that they're separate things, right? Like they're I believe all it's all integrated and it's, it's, it's almost silly to separate them. Absolutely. But like when I think about something like anxiety, I tend to try to think about like what might be some of the, you know, biological drivers of it. Like, you know, for example, there's some data to suggest, you know, omega-3 deficiencies, could be important for anxiety, right? There's some mm -hmm. biological factors related to gut bacteria that could mm -hmm. be important for anxiety. And of course, there's like our thinking and our social context, right? So you wanna start thinking about like, how is our eating behaviors and our gut health, you know, contextualize into our daily life and it affects the way we interact with people and the way we think all to create anxiety, right? And so when you think about solutions, like you don't just want to do one of those, you want to try to like 
kind of target everything, right? To think about right. like, how can we change nutrition? How can we change stress? How can we change sleep? How can we change some of our thinking patterns? How can we improve our social context and relational health, right? So yeah, it's exciting to be a part of the nutrition for mental health paradigm. The best evidence is for depressive symptoms. They've actually done seven randomized controlled trials up to date to show that nutrition interventions can improve uh, and reduce depressive symptoms. And it's it's super exciting because, you know, I've been screaming this stuff from the rooftop for years. And sometimes our intuition knows things that the data doesn't show yet for, you know, reasons that that are difficult to collect certain types of data, you know. But then when the data comes out, you're like, we knew that. We knew that. Yes. But we did need that data. That data is important. We all knew it, right? Right. Um, yeah. Like, I like, really, I like that you're bringing this up because I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Martha Beck. Are you familiar with Martha Beck? <laughs> she wrote a book called The Way to Integrity. And um, this woman, extremely knowledgeable, just beautiful being. But what I found was interesting is that in this book, she mentions this piece around show me the data, show me the evidence, right? We've become a society that is so fixated and obsessed with the facts, the the truth, right? That we have to have it. We have to attach ourselves to it in order to accept and receive it as whatever it is meant to be. Right. And so you mentioned this thing called intuition, this knowing within us, right? that we have been conditioned by society to suppress. We have been conditioned to suppress this information. And in my opinion, this intuitive knowing is this knowledge that we carry over with us at a cellular level. It's, it's you know, it's embedded, it's coded into the DNA of our cells. And this information is such a vital part of our being and our truth that we've been literally programmed to disconnect from it. Wow. Right? Yeah, we we, we get opted in to yeah. current contemporary narratives and learn to abandon the ancient wisdom that exists in our physiology and is through our, our living legacy. And mm -hmm. we forget who we are. And we forget exactly. all the different things that we need to be our best selves. Oh, exactly. And and so part of that suppression of that information is triggering this sense of anxiety and depression within our being because we aren't allowing ourselves to authentically connect with that truth of who we are because we become so obsessed with needing to see the evidence. And I know you know, especially you going through a PhD program and, and becoming a professional researcher, that when it comes to the information that is you know, being released as the truth, there's always a bias behind it. That's right. And more often than less, there is a funded bias behind it. That's that right. most people aren't taking into consideration as to why they're accepting this as their truth based on this evidence piece. Mm. So many, so many thoughts. I just love I the description of the disconnection from ancient wisdom and soul self, you know, uh, you know, that's, that's clouded by the mind ego and the social mm -hmm. constructs that is a driver of a lot of our underlying mental health issues. And it makes so much sense when you say that, why, you know, exposure to nature, sunlight, greenery, getting out into the world actually improves mental health symptoms mm -hmm. because it, it reminds ourselves and it reminds our entire system who we truly are, right? And it Please. treats, yes. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I feel that we have been conditioned to believe that we are alone, that we are separate, that it is a dog eat dog world that, mm -hmm. you know, it's survival of the fittest. And so the, the reality is, is that we inherit this idea of constant survival, yeah. that we are all alone, that we're in constant state of survival. We're perceiving everything that is happening to us as a constant threat, which is driving that central nervous system, 
causing us to release chemicals into the bloodstream that are then creating metabolic byproducts that get mm -hmm. lodged into the mitochondria of our cell where energetic disruption is created. And now this is an opportunity for disease to present itself. And then if we couple that with poor nutrition, this is going to be accelerated much sooner than later, mm -hmm. right? So in my opinion, nutrition is such a fundamental piece of our consciousness because without having those nutrients to help support that cellular function, we don't have the ability to really raise that energetic vibration to receive all yeah. of that knowing that yeah. is already there. Sometimes I have to pitch nutrition as being symbolic to people. It, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's not yeah. just nutrients, okay? If it was just nutrients, you could get that in other forms. It's not just macros. It's not just micros. It's not even just phytonutrients, right? Right. There's so much more involved, and it could represent our uh, connection to source on a daily basis, our connection Absolutely. to our ancient wisdom, to our cultural legacies. And I think a, a, a lot of people do respond well to that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're so used to thinking where we've been hijacked by this analytical data-driven world uh, to think about things in mathematical terms. And like, you know, is it one and a half servings or 1.75? And it's like, let's go deeper. Let's just go so much deeper with nutrition. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that society or diet culture has, you know, corrupted nutrition and made it so complicated to confuse mm. the consumer so that they stay stuck in that negative feedback loop of constantly seeking solutions, you know, trying this, going and buying this diet pill or trying this shake or trying this juice cleanse or trying yeah. this supplement or trying, you know, fasting whatever it might be. And ultimately the, the driving component of this is just profit, right? Profiting yes. off of the failure, knowing that this person is not going to succeed because this isn't the solution. So I really love to look at nutrition as a way of self-love, mm. as a way of nourishing ourselves, having so much self-respect, so much self-love that we want to make sure we're putting the most nourishing nutrients into our body so that we have the ability to align the physiology with the psychology and the spirituality to bring our whole selves together. Mm. And I know it's almost orgasmic, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're, 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 you're speaking the same language, right? Yes. Be able to convey that to someone in the right moment, like in a session, mm -hmm. right? When they're open and they're, they're there to learn and they've sought out professional help to really be able to get someone to connect the way that we just did mm -hmm. ah, can be life-changing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I do believe that, um, you know, non-mathematical approaches to nutrition can be very, very powerful. Agreed. You know, in many and ways. Again, and again, this goes back to allowing ourselves to access that intuitive information that our body is always communicating to us. We, be, we have become so disconnected to the physical body because we reside so much here in our mind yes. and the mind is the alchemist that's releasing the chemistry into the body based on its perception of what it's experiencing and all of it's bullshit. That's right. It's not real. So to actually decide one day, I'm going to do the unconditional self-love that you described. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go maybe drive a little bit further to buy uh, food that feels like it's, sourced with higher vibrations mm -hmm. or I'm going to set aside time and put it on my calendar that I chop up food or make food. And I mean, doing that is truly one way to sort of opt out against a lot of the energy that's in the world that's teaching people, you know, convenience is the only way. And that's also symbolic as well of like right. reclaiming your agency as a human being. And of course people can take that too far, mm -hmm. right? will get really, really obsessed with health and want to, you know, start. Give me getting... an example of, of this person. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's one of the things that I have to deal with a lot, right? The balance between the pursuit of wellness 
and going into the cave of self, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, pretty soon uh, someone is cutting themselves off from social and environmental contacts because they're so concerned about exposure to a particular, you know, pollutant or ingredient. Right. And so it's like, you know, everyone has their own psychiatric profile. And for one mm -hmm. person, knowledge will be the key, understanding you know, what's in our environment and what's in our food supply is the information that, you know, catalyzes change. And for the next person, that information could be very threatening, you know? And so, yeah, it's always fun when I counsel people to really talk these things through and say, you know, that might be true, but, you know, how's that working out for you? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel that, um, I, I myself have never been a fan of micromanaging. You know, I think that micromanaging is just uh, a stressor that is unnecessary. Yeah. I think that there can be some good components to micromanaging initially. If an individual truly has no clue as to what they're consuming within a daily right. period, you know, taking a day or two to log the information maybe into one of those, you know, app systems that can kind of help you have a better understanding. That's great. Yep. But when we're utilizing these things, this is literally our nervous system getting the best of us. It's it's our fight or flight demanding to stay in control. So we attach to this idea of micromanaging as a way to get our neurochemicals, right? The cortisol, the epinephrine, the norepinephrine. Am I making the, can I have this cookie or not? Is this yes. chip going to derail me? Yes. And so ultimately it all serves a purpose. It's just not aligned usually with the purpose that we desire for it to serve, which is having mm -hmm. peace and ease around our nutrition and nourishing our body. I love the language of micromanaging and the example you gave. It's like learning calories and macronutrients could be a really good place to start. Yes. But after you've learned some of those things, it's time to move on. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And we use it as a crutch, right? Because we can't fundamentally trust ourselves. And when we're constantly yo-yo dieting and trying this approach and trying that approach and going all in and going all out, fundamentally, what message are we sending to ourselves? Hmm. I don't trust you and I don't respect you. And Therefore, I'm the not, norm. huh? And extremes are the norm. And extremes are the norm because okay. it's helping us get that fix. It's serving that place in the subconscious brain that volatates that core belief that I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. I'm not, I'm fundamentally flawed, whatever the, you know, internal dialogue or story might be. And we all have them. It's just a matter of, are we going to continue to entertain them and feed them what they need in order to stay present? Or are we going to nourish them with some new dialogues and nutrition? Wow. You put such good energy into things that I've always thought and said, and you summarize them in such uh, uh, fascinating ways. Health psychology is so fascinating, isn't it? It is. It like, really is. There's health. And then there's the way we think about health and how mm -hmm. each person, you know, might approach it differently based on their wound structure and based right. on all these other factors. And yeah, what could be a positive message for one person could be jarring to the next. And it's, it's tricky. Yeah, it is. It's interesting, David. I recently read a research study where um, I want to say it was done with donuts where they took two different groups. One group, they fed the donuts and they told them, these donuts are bad, they're not healthy for you to eat, and there is a likeliness that you will gain weight. And then the other group that they told that were eating the donuts, ah, these are good for you, you don't have anything to worry, just enjoy your donuts. At the end, when they collected all of the data, the group that ate the donuts that believed they were going to gain weight gained an average of eight to 10 pounds at the end of the research study, where the group that ate the donuts believing that they were actually good for them actually had weight loss or no weight gain whatsoever. So this to me speaks volumes to the power that our belief system holds in unison to how the, the physiology of our cells is going to respond. And it really challenges the calorie model, 
right? Right. You know, which I've been screaming for 10 years, right? Yeah, like, it calorie sucks. model is incomplete. It's not a good way to look at food. We need to look at systems, biology, hormones, these stress responses. And yeah, I do often tell people sometimes the way someone thinks about a food could be worse for their health than the actual food itself. Absolutely. Minds get blown, right? Well, and let's speak to that. So in that moment, right? When you have this food choice in front of you and you're getting ready to make the decision, if you're going into the decision of choosing that piece of chocolate cake, that it's going to go to your hips, that this is going to be the thing that derails you, that puts you over the top, from a physiological perspective, what is happening at a chemical level in that moment? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of nuance that's needed there, right? Like, for example, someone could truly have, um, you know, a fight or flight response following something because they have a lot of conflict around it, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a lot of noise created by this idea that I had a rule and I broke it or I said I wasn't going to do that. And, and, and I did, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that could be different than discerning between someone who maybe had an overactivation of the reward pathways through eating something that was extremely palatable, right? And I think that, you know, the consequences of those could be, could be different, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, uh, yeah, the context matters. The context yeah, matters. It does. Right? If it's someone doing something that they intended to do, in a group of people versus, you know, someone breaking a rule that they were counting days against when they were all by themselves in their apartment. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I always try to pitch context to people, right. You know, doing, you know, a, a dessert by yourself after a really rough day might not land the same way as it would if you were with your loved ones and celebrating something. Mm -hmm. uh, but that being said, if you were with your loved ones and celebrating something, it could also be, uh, incredibly harmful because it could feel like there was conflict created. So right. I think there's a lot of different mechanisms there. It'd be hard to say, you know, which are the, which are the main ones. Yeah. I, well, I agree. I think that it's definitely, there's a lot of complexity to it, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of complexity, but for the most part, in my opinion, I think that we have been taught to really approach this whole body composition, relationship with our body and with food from a very distorted perspective to begin mm -hmm. with. And we have to really kind of just unlearn everything that we've learned up to this point. I know you know, as well as I know, <laughs> as a nutrition professional, what we know today is most likely going to be disproved tomorrow. So for you and I, as scientists, as health professionals, we can never get truly attached to any kind of data and outcome because the likeliness that it will be disproved tomorrow is pretty great, right? That's right. So we have to be pretty open-minded individuals to constantly be showing up and interacting with the world when the message that we deliver today is most likely gonna be negated tomorrow. When it comes to the ego, <laughs> you know, if you're staying attached to that information, it could be pretty detrimental. But unfortunately, most dieters, most people out there, they're attaching to this, right? right. And, and they're, they're attaching to this and they're like, but no, this is the truth. When I have conversations with individuals about trying to incorporate more healthy fats into their diet, utilizing the components and theories from Mediterranean diet, they look at me like, are you are you insane? Right. right. And then if we look back historically and think about our USDA guidelines and the recommendations around low fat and what has happened over the last 70 years with mental health, mm -hmm. with omega-3 consumption, with nervous system regulation, with dementia, with Alzheimer's, to me, it's a no-brainer. There's absolutely a correlation there. We scared people to death to eat that they couldn't eat fat. Therefore, they deprived themselves in all possible ways. And now we're seeing the implications of that from generations of this kind of dietary pattern. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite assignments to give people is to ask them to do a little inventory of their old ideas and rules mm -hmm. around food and body, Ooh. right? Because we have 
I think we might have something similar we use. I call it, you know, evaluating your food rules. Yeah, exactly. And and thinking about where those things, you know, come from. I think yeah. for some people, things get really deeply ingrained into their psyche and they're uh, sometimes not even aware of it, right? More often they're not aware of it. Yeah. So they have all those biases that they picked up oftentimes from an era or from a practitioner, or I think as you were alluding to something that they, that they did that seemed to work. Yeah. So they end up chasing these like uh, health moments of yesteryear, trying to recapture like, well, I did that in 1994 and it was great. And like, I've been trying to recreate it ever since. Right. Right. It's so important yep. to look at that and then to bring it back into the current moment and see what things can be discarded, what things can be updated, what things can be challenged and what things can be integrated. Absolutely. And I believe that we as health professionals, specifically in the nutrition realm, are going to have to speak really loudly about how we have to really understand the process of life cycle and how nutrition, nutrition changes with our cycle and our circumstances. And I'll just use myself as a personal example. So I am 46 years old, and unfortunately, I have been put into early menopause as a unfortunate long circumstance of chronic stress exposure and not integrating earlier in my life when I should have more restorative practice. And so as a result, my, my whole endocrine system has been hijacked and this has had negative consequences on early menopause. Hmm. So as I am changing physically, mentally, emotionally, going through all of these hormonal changes that are having physiological changes on my body, I recognized I need red meat and I need red meat a lot. And there was probably a span in my life where I went maybe 10, 15 years of eating absolutely no red meat. Mm. And now I know my body needs red meat, especially two weeks leading up to my cycle and during my cycle mm -hmm. as extra source of iron to support my physiology, you know, my physiology. And if I was so attached to this idea that red meat is bad for me, that I can't eat it, that it's going to contribute to heart disease, I would be doing myself such a huge disservice right now in terms of my overall well-being, not just what's happening to me physically, but how this is also playing a role psychologically. And that was one of your early points, right? The disconnect yes. in between our intuition yep. and, and, and downgrading or devaluing that information in favor of what's being put out there at the, at the larger societal level, right? Exactly. Hmm. So my opinion as a dietitian, I utilize senses a lot in my work with helping individuals connect to their senses. That's the whole reason we're having part of this human experience, right? Is to have this, this sensual experience. And so we have been taught that there are five senses that we adhere to, but the reality is we have six. And that sixth sense is that intuitive, all-knowing information that resides within us at a cellular level. And mm. we have to trust in that information that is being received or being brought forth. And so as a dietitian, I'm curious, how can we do a better job helping to communicate this information to the masses, to help them understand the toxicity of diet culture and being so attached to these ideals of what we should and should not do. Where do we go from here? Yeah, you got my mind spinning because you were talking about intuition in the sixth sense. And like, I yep. believe that there's nothing more valuable than being yep. able to access that. But it's also true that if your system isn't in balance, and there's a lot of biological challenges, it makes it more difficult for people to access them, right? Bingo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how we can use, utilize nutrition as a core component to help shape what's happening at that physiological level to help support our ability to obtain 
that information at the consciousness level. That's right. So the value of nutrition is, is, is helping someone access mind body integration so they can truly trust their inner knowing and mm -hmm. be a, a, a being a human being rather than a human doing right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so for that being out there, who might be struggling with some suicidal ideations right now, who is really feeling helpless and lost and doesn't really have any clue as to where to turn and where to get started. From your journey, from your professional experience and your personal experience, what kind, what are three tips that you can give to this individual to help support them getting started? Yeah, thank you. I think the first thing that comes to mind is one of my favorite mantras, which is consistency with food leads to consistency with life, right? Mm. And I've always been interested in, in yoga. And one of the things I love about yoga is that I learn principles uh, that I can take with me off the mat, right? And there's principles of being eaters that we can take with us into the world. So if we create some consistent patterns with our nutrition, it can spill over into our relational health. And um, I think that that's a perfect example of symbolic nutrition. And once we become consistent, there's room to loosen up and go with the flow and try to be more like water and not end up like rocks where there's a lot of cognitive rigidity, right? Mm -hmm. The yeah. other uh, uh, idea that I can offer is that I really, um, you know, know that there's a wide range of things that work for people and some people do fasting and other types of things. But for someone that's susceptible to emotional extremes and any other sort of uh, neurochemical extremes, you know, people that are on medication, uh, sometimes, you know, sticking in that position of neutrality by never letting yourself get too hungry or never, never letting yourself get too full can send a really important safety message to the body, right? Mm, That's mm -hmm. my second mantra, never hungry, never full. And you really teach the nervous system that we are safe and protected and mm -hmm. that, you know, healing can begin from this place, right? Yeah, real quick, I, I love how you talk about this neutrality of this never, you know, being hungry, never being full, and how this creates that trust. Yes. Through the consistency, telling the system, the nervous system, that it is safe. And mm. so many people make the mistake of not honoring their nutrition rhythms going right. long periods of time without eating the food that causes that physiology to get out of whack that then just drives more of the psychological that's right disconnect right that's beautiful so okay and the third the third one is that the goal uh oftentimes is to make peace with food and to make peace with body and mm -hmm. it is important for people to know that it's really hard to make peace with food unless you can make peace with body. So sometimes the work is making peace with the body that we live in, in order to feel more peace around food. And I know that's easier said than done, uh, but with intention and deliberate action, we can start to feel at home in the body we live in. And sometimes that's the most effective nutrition intervention that exists. I could not agree more. I think that that is a very, very beautiful and core tip to acceptance and self-forgiveness mm. because without the acceptance and the self-forgiveness, we will never be able to achieve that peace and establish that healthy relationship with the body and the food and be able to celebrate all that it's, you know, here to give us. Um, those are those are fabulous tips. I absolutely love them. And I think that they're so important. Consistency is key. And we are a society of quick fixes, right? We, right? we want it. We want it now. We order it on Amazon. And if it is, if I get that email that it is not being delivered on time, are you kidding me? I am going to go into a state of panic and That's freak right. out. That's right. Right. And so that's exactly what's happening in the body when we don't offer that constant consistency. Mm -hmm. We are in that state of panic and freak out because the body is going, wait a minute. Where are you? Here's mine. Yeah. You've abandoned me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. That's right.
<laughs> so, so I want to ask you another question. How do you feel about the physical body always presenting flags to us when we are suppressing the emotional? I love it. I mean, it just points to our conversation around integration earlier is that, you know, if, if someone isn't nurturing the flow state of all the different body systems, something's going to show up at some right. point. Right? And so mm -hmm. I think it is wise to look at symptoms, whether they be somatic symptoms, psychological symptoms, uh, threat vigilance as our little antennas that have mm. uh, a good data encoded that can teach us to, it might not be able to tell us exactly what it is, but it can tell us that it might be time to get curious. It might be time to take a look. Yeah, I, I like that. So one more thing I'm going to hit you with that I absolutely love for myself, and I'm curious to get your thoughts around this. So there is a quote from the Bible, Genesis, I believe it's 129, okay? And it says, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. Hmm. So I'm curious to you what that statement means. What are your thoughts? What comes to you when you read that or hear that? I picked up on the energy of the cycle of life and the continuum, right? And that like, it's very difficult to pinpoint, you know, what is first, right? The seed or the plant and right. Sometimes we don't have to answer the riddles. We can just continue to ask questions and, you know, be curious. Um, I loved what you said earlier about acceptance and finding the sweet spot between acceptance and change and the sweet spot between knowingness and intuition and, curiosity, right? And mm -hmm. just kind of living in that uh, open-hearted, open-minded space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing you say at the core of all of that is that ultimately we must develop a fundamental trust, mm. right? A fundamental trust, uh, sometimes referred to as a wise mind. As a wise mind. So yeah. tell me about this Wise Mind nutrition system that you have developed. Yes. I'm so excited to announce the app, uh, which I've been working on for about 18 months. And uh, there's a free version coming out uh, very, very soon. It might even be out by the time you hear this. Uh, basically, it's using the framework that I developed from being a private practice dietitian for over 10 years you know, uh, as a way to log one's food and mm -hmm. do so in a non-mathematical sense, which means that we're more focused on the qualitative, com qualitative components of eating, you know, the food groups, hunger, fullness, there might be some, you know, reflections, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the goal is to really, you know, encourage self-reflection. So, you know, at the end of the day, the app might do some summarizing for someone and be able to see like, you know, where some of the intentions that were set met, what could we have done better? What corrective measures can we take? So it forces someone to do a qualitative assessment of their relationship with mm -hmm. food and to do so in the context of a healing journey, right? So mm. it's designed to be for people on a mental health journey, addictions, eating disorders, trauma, depression, ADHD, et cetera. And then there's educational component to it. So there's videos where I'm teaching people about the latest science around nutrition for mental health and blending that with the ancient wisdom that we talked mm. about today. So yeah, the, uh, the free version will be food logging and some awesome videos. The full version will be personalized recommendations based on the mental health assessment. So oh, someone beautiful. will fill out a bunch of validated tools to look at depression, anxiety, eating disorder, addictions, et cetera. And based on what is learned from them, it will target and tailor some language and some videos and some other content. So someone finds themselves on a transformative educational journey that's customized by them and customized for them. And it involves assignments and intention setting and doing a lot of work over the, uh, over the course of 30 days so that at the end they have co they've created, co-created with the app, 
a mm-hmm. meal plan with with me, a, a meal mm-hmm. plan for themselves that isn't the type of meal plan that people are looking for three quarters of a cup. It's right. a meal plan full of guiding principles and I full of that. gems and full of things that they learned about themselves and some deep explorative work where they now have a really clear picture of how to move forward as an eater, but they also stay open-minded to embrace the change and evolution that mm-hmm. is inevitable on this thing we call life. That is beautiful. I absolutely am obsessed with this idea. So what I'm hearing you say is that you're giving them an opportunity to date themselves through the use of food so that they can create awareness and have a better understanding to create that cohesive relationship with mind, body, and spirit. Mm, Total paradigm Totally opting out of calories and macronutrient-based mm-hmm. approaches totally promoting a new way of thinking about food and really doing so in a way that's eating disorder friendly, not triggering and designed to help people be deliberate and intentional uh, without any of these conflictual energy that's so pervasive in the nutrition space. I love that. It's uh... So when is this app available? Uh, wisemynutrition.com uh, is a place where you would sign up for the newsletter. The people that opt in will be the first to hear about it. Okay. I am sort of beta testing the food log in my clinic first, making mm-hmm. sure that it's all good to go. This uh, journey of like, you know, getting involved in the coding of an app has been extremely yep. uh, exciting and challenging at the same time. I can imagine. Uh, but it's all like... Um, it's all so close. I can taste it. It's super exciting. I've got it on my phone right now. Uh, That's beautiful. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you and all of your success. And most importantly, your beautiful resilience, uh, what you're modeling to the world through your professional and personal journey is just so admirable. And I could not have more respect and love for you and Mm. all that you embody. Thank you so much for being with us today. I truly, truly appreciate your time and expertise. I will make sure that all of the um, links to your information will be in the show notes so it makes it easy for the audience to find you. David, where where are you going from here? Mm. Oh, so much respect, so much love. All my energy is invested in creating this nutrition for mental health paradigm shift, right? I want to help people that have eating disorders and disordered eating find new lanes of recovery. I want to be a part of the mental health uh, wake up revolution. I love it. Nutrition can be a part of it. And I think I'm the person to help kind of bridge some of those gaps, you know, and um, absolutely. I've got a three month old daughter at home. So I'm in family mode and Uh, who knows where uh, that energy will take me, but it's truly, truly the highlight of my life. Uh, So blessed. You you are such a beautiful being, and I'm so excited for you, your wife, and your daughter, and much love and success to you as you continue on in this journey. Well, thank you, David, for all that you are doing to help raise the collective vibration and serve humanity and help healing, because that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor. And if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at heatherbarbierrdn for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.